veterinary counseling. What is it? Do you need it? And who's it for? This week, we've got a very special RVT who's also a counselor on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and mental health, wellness, well-being, grief counseling, burnout, imposter syndrome, depression. Uh Uh-oh, Becky, have (laughs) I run out? I mean, there's tons of things we need to talk about that affect our professional performance and our personal lives in the veterinary profession. And this week, we are so thrilled to bring you a very unique specialist, a veterinary technician who also is a licensed client counselor. And I can't wait for you to meet her. But before we get to that, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And this week, we've got Dr. Ernie seeing double with Becky's. (laughs) Uh, We are really excited to welcome uh, Ms. Becky Murray, who is not only a certified veterinary technician in the Chicago area, but she's actually taken her career in an incredibly essential and really interesting direction by getting her licensed clinical professional counseling degree. And in doing this, she's now serving the community as as a counselor within the veterinary clinic, and we are so excited to learn more about what that means. Welcome to the show, Ms. Becky. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, Becky, I'd like to, and again, it's going to be confusing for me, but Becky Murray, the counselor guest today, I want to start by you know, asking you, how did you find your way into wellness and counseling and all of this? Because, I mean, as Becky said, this is just much, much needed, but not many actually take the steps you've taken. So how did you get here? Right. It's been an interesting journey. So I started here at Veterinary Specialty Center, uh, a a large referral and um, specialty and emergency clinic here in Chicagoland um, as a CVT, and I worked in oncology. And so I just began talking to a lot of our clients after, you know, they eventually said goodbye to their dogs and cats. And um, I found out that I was kind of good at it. I became sort of a go-to person for clients to talk to. Um, The owners here that we have, um, uh, Dr. Spinewell and Robbins, they had done their residency at AMC in New York where um, they've had social workers. And so they, uh, they were used to having the service. They were interested in having it. And so I talked with them and they were really excited about it. And we created a position for me and I went back to school. Well, that's like, you know, (laughs) I feel like what I've been screaming for the almost three years we've been doing this podcast now talking about, you know, creating a champion within your clinic, finding someone in your clinic who has a certain passion, whatever that area is, and then growing that individual. And so just shout out to your owners for for seeing that. But this is an area that's probably it sounds like you've been surveying for a while, but it's really starting to get popular throughout the veterinary industry now. So tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like with this position that's been created. Okay. So, um, so I have a very unstructured, um, job because I have a lot of different responsibilities. And so, um, my day looks like whatever sort of comes up that's needed for the most part. I do have a few scheduled things, but, um, on the employee side, I do have an open door policy to our employees. We have about 300 employees here. Um, and they're 
welcome to come talk to me. I don't do individual therapy with anyone, clients or employees, but I do, um, you know, I, I do allow them to come talk to me about stressors. Um, we talk about coping skills. I help them find resources uh, or figure out who they should be talking to instead of me, if that's the case. Um, for clients, I'm here mostly uh, either long-term through my support groups or in the moment, if they're going through a loss, they're working on decision-making, end-of-life discussion, financial struggles, things like that. So a lot of it just depends on sort of what comes up that day. Okay. So like I've, you know, I lost my father a few years ago, as, as many of you find or family knows. And as we were winding down that process, which is no fun, and many of you can relate to what I went through, they brought in counselors, right? It, do you do you feel that capacity as well? I mean, so like they, we had a person come in and just say, hey, how are you doing? Do you have questions about this? This is what's going to happen. Is that also what you're doing with clients? Uh, sure, it can be. Uh, um, I don't talk to every client who is going through a loss. I There's no possible way that one person could do that at this point in this facility. Um, you know, I think we do have plans to eventually add on um, at least one more counselor um, or, or maybe more. I would love that. Um, so it kind of depends on the needs. You know, if the staff member working with a client feels like I could really help out in this situation or the client asks for me, that's when I um, really become involved in a case. Um, and so but yeah, if 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 they have stressors that they want to talk about in that moment, um, they want to talk about what's happening going forward, I can do that. What I cannot do is be there um, for them on an ongoing basis individually. Um, so I don't function um, as a lot of therapists that people might think of where you have, say, an appointment every week or every two weeks where somebody comes for an hour and you know you see them for months and months. Right. And I agree. That's 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 beyond the scope of this this discussion and this this job that you have. You know, it's sort of like the hospital interaction. We had somebody came in and they actually later followed up and said, do you need to speak with someone? You'll hear some resources, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'll, I'd like to spin it, if I couldn't, kind of quickly into the veterinary staff angle, because I think that's what a lot of the viewfinders want to hear about, because, you know, you're also at this front, you know, edge of this movement around wellness and I'd like for you to sort of talk about your role in this large clinic there. Like, how are you, you mentioned people can kind of drop in and so forth, but how are you helping support the veterinary staff in, in your facility? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we all know that um, burnout, compassion fatigue, ethical stress, these are all, you know, a big deal in our field. Um, so when I first started this position, I thought I would be working almost 100% with clients and, and really it's about half working with employees now. Wow. Um, so yes, they can come talk to me on an individual basis. I do some um, some lectures and some trainings with them. So um, you know, everyone who comes through our hospital gets the basic lecture on compassion fatigue. We talk about what it is, what um, you can do to take care of yourself. Um, I also talk to them about diversity and inclusion, which sort of feeds um, into um, employee wellness as well. Um, I have. Uh, we have an all-day continuing education um, annually where we bring in ment veterinary mental health professionals from all over the United States and even Canada, um, and that's for our referral community and our employees. And so we, we um, they get six hours of continuing education credit, but it's all mental health. Wow, related. that's amazing. 
it's it's really fantastic. I have some um, activities at um, the hospital. I call them pop up wellness, where um, you know I will just suddenly be in the break room with a little activity um, for them to do. We made glitter jars last year that was incredibly <laughs> popular. People <laughs> love their glitter jars. Um, Who doesn't love a glitter jar? Right. I, right. They they are they are very exciting. <laughs> I was agreeing. I was saying nobody I want to know doesn't like a glitter jar. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, just trying to continue education. I have a, an information board in our break room where I post information about mental health and, and um, you know, hotlines and resources for people. Um, I'm always making sure that I um, let people know that we have an um, uh, employee assistance program that they can utilize. We actually have a really good um, percentage, I think uh, somewhere in the mid thirties um, percent of our employees utilize our employee assistant program, which is really, really good. So, uh, so things like that. It's a lot of helping people find resources. Well, Becky, let me just jump in here real quick. Uh, explain the glitter jar, because like, I think I know where you're headed with this, but this is actually an important element of a program like this. So explain to the viewfinder family who maybe aren't familiar with what you're trying to accomplish here. And I'm making a guess, but uh, explain to them why that's important. A pop-up wellness, I love. And then you do these things like in a break room, explain the rationale. So, um, you know, look, working on mental health is, is hard and it's time consuming. And um, when you are working a really busy schedule, uh, you might not have a ton of time to dedicate to that. Um, and most of us don't dedicate as much time as we should. Um, so it's really important to help employees find easy ways to cope with stress. Yes. Um, in addition to encouraging them to do something um, lengthier, like working on meditation or mindfulness or seeing a therapist or things like that. Um, so, you know, we might do a pop-up wellness where we talk about breathing techniques. Um, so how do you do deep breathing? Um, we might do uh, the glitter jar, which is, you know, something parents do with their kids a lot, but it is actually a, a, a nice little mindful trick to help you calm your mind down right, a little bit. Right. Yeah. You know, and Becky, I love the idea of introducing. It's like I think so often we hear people saying, like, I don't know how to help. I want to help. I don't know what to do. And I think in our profession, we have this tendency to be like all or nothing. Like if I can't create an entire wellness program, then I'm just like not even going to toe the line of wellness right. with my That's employees. Right. So I love the idea of something like a pop-up. Like you come in, you are like, you know what? Uh, I was at the dollar store. I saw these cool arts and crafts. We're doing this today and we're just going to brighten each other's day. And there's kind of almost like an inside joke, but it's like kind of one of those sad, like you laugh because it's true kind of <laughs> jokes where like, we tend to like throw pizza at a problem, right? Like, okay, your staff is like totally yeah. overworked. It's so busy. No <laughs> one's going to lunch. Oh, pizza. And, and, and we're like, oh, thank you. You know, but like, there's so much more we could do than throw pizza at problems. Please don't and, throw And pizza. to be proactive, don't right? Throw donuts. So this is such yeah. a, an important message for our managers out there. I feel like right. even if you don't have a counseling degree and a full-time wellness person on staff, like, there are some great ideas. Is there like a go-to place you go for some ideas like this that we could, you know, help people figure out things they could be doing in the clinic? Oh, gosh. Or do you, are you Instagramming? Can you start giving us ideas? <laughs> um, there's not one go-to. Yeah, there's not really one go-to place. I, I pick up um, ideas kind of all over. Um, I... I will, if I'm sort of stumped at that point in time, I'll just do a quick search for, you know, wellness activities and, and find one that I think I like. Um, so, 
you know, and sometimes I, I just have my own ideas. That, so that really depends. I think what's really, you, you, you touched on something really important with people getting frustrated that, um, you know, that they're not doing everything because to tell you the truth, I have that frustration all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I have staff members coming to me all of the time saying, I'm really struggled. I'm burnt. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm burnt out. I don't know what to do. And it's frustrating for me because what I can do is very limited. Um, and so for those managers out there to also remember, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to fix everything. Right. You know, right. you, you can't, um, you can't help somebody into therapy. Um, if somebody's really struggling, a lot of the work is going to be on them. And so you can do a lot of encouraging. You can offer them these, these little techniques and they can be very, very helpful. I mean, that might be something, you know, all that somebody needs, but you also have to understand that a lot of getting healthy is on the, is on the individual and we can just help them to find resources for that. Amen. Yeah, it, but you know, too, like we talk so much about work culture, right? And and there's this like time to lean is time to clean. And you're like, yeah, no, it's time to make a glitter jar. It's time right, to breathe. Right. It's time to <laughs> meditate. And that's, I think, what I really love because you create this culture in your clinic of um, intrinsic value, right? And, and I, I want to know about your retention. Um, I want to know about, yeah, like, how, right. I bet your employees love their jobs. I bet they stay. I bet they're kind of, you think about like the jackpot reward system. System. Like, I'm right. going to go to work today because what if Becky's doing a fun activity? I don't want to miss Glitter Jar Day. Uh, yeah, we, we actually have pretty good retention for veterinary, um, you know, clinics. Uh, we have lots of people here that have been here 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and we have a lot of people who leave. You know, the, the veterinary industry is one where people do, especially technicians, do a lot of job hopping. And, uh, and I don't feel that that happens here to the same degree, not even close. Um, but it is also a very stressful environment. You know, it's a big specialty emergency hospital. We see um, really, really sick patients all the time. Um, so it's important that we try to um, have some levity, you know, where we have pizza parties or fun things like glitter jars, but we also have serious discussions about, hey, some of you are going to think of hurting yourself at some point in time. And we don't want you to do that. You know, come talk to me, call our EAP, you know, tell us what you need to, to keep that from happening. So I think it's a nice mixture of everything, um, of you know, having that stressful job, but also having, you know, fun times and serious discussions as well. So Becky, as a counselor in your current job responsibility, what are some of the big trends, the big issues that you see repeatedly from veterinary professionals? You know, obviously I know you're working with NAFTA at a national level, but in the day-to-day -day grind, which I think most of the viewfinders can relate to, what are the the issues that you see as the biggest challenges? Uh, I think that two of the biggest stressors um, that at least my staff face are um, a lot of death, especially um, death surrounding um, very uh, morally compromising situations. So like e economic euthanasia type of, of issues? Right. Like we won't do convenience euthanasias here. No, but, but the, there's, the, there's some gray areas right. for sure. Um, and also maybe um, treating a patient for longer than we think is appropriate. Um, so, you know, keeping a patient alive when maybe the staff feels like it's suffering, um, 
you know, or the reverse, you know, maybe we could do some things to give this, this patient some good quality of life for a decent amount of time. Um, but, but the client elects to euthanize for, for some reason. Um, I think that that's really, really stressful. And I think also um, client interactions can be, uh, can be an immense source of stress. Well, I'd like to jump in on t- those two areas because I think you're right. Uh, but the first about the, we, they treated it too long or they didn't treat it long enough or appropriately. I mean, those, I think the root of those, and we've discussed this multiple times in the three years of the podcast. I mean, but those are sort of moral judgments, right? How do you, how do you help satisfy that? Because I mean, you know, obviously we all have our own experiences, our own beliefs systems, and that can cause friction because now you're based on your life experiences. You think they should have gone longer and the same case, another person says they went too long or, and then some of the people say it's perfect. So how do we navigate some of these moral conundrums that especially along, you know, this type of, of care and quality of care? Yes. Yes. I have this discussion a lot. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that I talk about this. Um, you know, one thing I talk about is that, um, we all have such varying opinions on what is okay to treat an animal. Um, and so even within my own staff, and, and with a staff of 10 people in a clinic, you're going to have completely different ideas of what's okay or how far is okay um, to yes. treat an animal. And so we have to remember that um, we're just not always right. Okay, so another thing I will, I will explain to our staff is to remember that whatever the decision they're making, the vast majority of our clients adore their animals. Right. They they're love them. Fine. They only want what's best for them. Also, struggling with a loss is difficult. You know, I mean, when we personally go through a loss, um, our medical brain turns off and we start Googling and we start asking irrational questions and we start struggling with an answer that might seem clear cut to us if we weren't emotionally involved. Um, And so just sort of remembering that uh, when we're looking at this animal, we're not emotionally attached or we're just barely emotionally attached compared to this client. Um, you know, their life is about to be turned upside down. Right. Um, and so it's much easier to give advice when you're not emotionally, um, invested. Um, but to remember that, you know, they do love them. What they, what they probably aren't is educated in, in medical information. They might be getting differing, um, opinions from different doctors, um, or Dr. Google, which frankly sometimes is right and sometimes is wrong, right? Sure. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah, right. um, they, um, they might have never had to face a death before, or, you know, this animal represents their um, mother who died last year and you know, they, they adopted her cat. Um, so there's a lot more to the story, um, you know, than just, they're just not listening to us. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and again, Becky, uh, Becky and I both agree we've, we've done lectures and written articles on pet care shaming and, you know, really, mm-hmm. The fact is you just don't know the whole story, but still Becky Murray, the counselor, uh, it doesn't absolve that person who feels that tension and friction, right? So now let's, let's, so, so right. You and I agree at a meta level, you know, Hey, you have to be, have this little separation, be a little bit dispassionate. doesn't mean you're uncompassionate, but you know, you have to have this healthy separation, but 
that's nearly impossible to, to create. So now the person that's sitting in front of your office or in your office today, and they come in and they say, I think they went too long. I think they went too short. What's the advice? How do you help them work through that particular you know, issue that day? Well, I mean, I think part of it is what I just talked about. I do think that the ability to have true empathy um, takes a lot of frustration away from us. Right. Good so, point. and here's the example I use is, you know, this person's in front of me and they're not listening to me. And, and I say, this person's an idiot and they don't care about their pet. Right. And, or I think. Yes. That, yes. Right. And so what's going to happen with me thinking that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to treat this client as well. No, no matter how well I think I am, you know, we all know that the majority of our communication is nonverbal. Absolutely. And it's very hard to authentically verbally if, um, if you're not feeling that way. So I'm, I might not be taking care of the patient as well, right? So maybe that frustration is coming across, but here's really what happens is I take that frustration home. Ooh, and yeah. so I go home, I'm mad. I keep talking to people about it. My frustration keeps rising. Maybe I lose some sleep. And the next day I come to work and the same thing happens. And then years later, I have so much pent up frustration that the tiniest little thing sets me off. And so, so, so here's true. the other so side. True. Yes. Here's the other side is I sit in front of this person and I say, I completely disagree with you. Or I, I'm thinking this, but I know that you love fluffy. I, I know that you do. I know that you want what's best for him. I might not choose this for him, but I don't really know. I've never lived with fluffy. I, and so I'm working in my own head to have some understanding for this person. I am not going to walk away with the same type of frustration. And so that is what's going to keep me healthier going forward. Yep. I love that. You know, Becky, I used to tell my staff, our duty is not to convince, but to inform. I, I don't know if that's sort of the, the philosophy that you're espousing there, but that was one way that I sort of shorthanded it. Yes. I, I've actually told people, look, our jobs is to, we give people options and then we explain the consequences of those. And, you know, a lot of my staff, um, sometimes they feel like my job is to walk in and and convince a client to euthanize their pet. <laughs> and, right. and and I think sometimes they think that is because that is often the result. But it's the result because when I go in and talk to a client, I don't tell them they should euthanize. In fact, I I say if, if that's an option you want to take up the board, we won't even talk about it. But sort of that pressure being taken off of them and the permission to think about something else Let's them process information better than just you should euthanize, you should euthanize, you should euthanize. I think it just, you know, when you have an individual to act as a sounding board to just like really take the time, not feel rushed and and to honestly just not feel judged. And I think sometimes removing that quote unquote, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to be a part of whatever decision is made can maybe be helpful because it makes you a little bit more neutral because like you're like, I'm really here to just help facilitate the decision. And, you know, I think right. in, in the most perfect world, every clinic should have uh, someone like you are able to, to have these conversations. You know, what do you how do you you know, what advice do you have for clinics who want to have a, a counselor on staff? But it's it's not realistic right now. Like, how can they be helping in ways that you're helping without crossing lines as a counselor or um you know, find someone to utilize in, in that kind of way. What are their options? Yeah, that's a really good question because most clinics can't afford, you know, right. something like this. My services are free. So VSC is in essence just, you know, paying my salary um, without 
be making money for them, at least not directly. Um, and most clinics can't do that. So there's a lot of different ways. First of all, you don't need to be formally trained to have empathy. What you need to do is work on yourself and, and learn how to have empathy. And so I think one is just talking as a staff about how do we foster empathy and maybe bringing in a professional talk about that. I, I do actually go to a lot of our referral clinics and talk to them about um, things like compassion fatigue and and burnout and, and boundaries and things like that. Um, so, so learning how to be compassionate and learning how to be empathetic, um, not just to make things better for the client, but to make things better for us. Yes. Um, I think you can also always talk to a local therapist um, who happens to love animals and see if they're willing to uh, sometimes with their staff members, um, if they're willing to talk to the clients for them and maybe, you know, just have them be paid on, on an individual basis when that comes up so that you're not employing somebody full time. Um, I think having an employee assistance program is really, really important especially if you talk about it constantly the way that we do. Um, it's everywhere here. Anytime somebody is struggling with something, we say, have you, have you contacted the EAP? And um, it's really, really, uh, it's a great resource because they have, they have mental health professionals right there, almost answering their phones, um, ready to talk to people. So it takes a little of the pressure off of you as their employer. Okay, so Becky, as we wind down our conversation with you today, and again, I could go on and on because I'm fascinated and I love, love, love what you're doing. But I want to ask you a simple question that probably, you know, 99% of our listeners are going to be like, oh yeah, it's an obvious answer. But what are the signals, the signs, the symptoms, if you will, of a veterinary clinic whose culture is unhealthy and does need some help, maybe from someone such as you, but at least needs some awareness. Like, so what are the things that we should be looking for to say, wait a second, we're not help, helping our staff. We actually may be harming them. Sure. Sure. Now it's important to remember that you can have a healthy culture and still have unhealthy people because of burnout and things like that. So right. an unhealthy right. culture would be where there's a lot of gossip um, and no accountability for that, um, where there's no trust between coworkers and um, managers and staff or doctors and staff. Um, and then you can have, you can actually have that healthy culture, but people are getting burnt out from things like patient care or, you know, client interactions. Um, and so I think uh, that's actually another sign of an unhealthy clinic is when you have a lot of toxic client interactions as yes, well. Yes, good point. Um, so, and then an individual who is getting burnt out is somebody who is maybe not as engaged as they were in their work, um, or they are becoming um, more emotional, either you know with anger or sadness um, at doing their work. Um, somebody who um, is physically not taking care of themselves as well. Um, somebody who um, is. Uh, sort of disillusioned with their, the work that they're doing. So somebody who either says, you know, I'm not making a difference or somebody who um, says as a whole, like maybe we're doing the wrong thing. Right. You know, maybe we shouldn't be taking care of these patients in the way that we are. Um, so things like that are, are real warning signs. Well, Becky uh, Mosser, RBT, we certainly have covered these and more <laughs> in the three years. But the last question I have with you before, uh, before we let you go today is uh, how do we deal with online 
criticism. The haters going to hate. I get it. Uh, certainly, Becky and I are out there in the public eye like a lot of veterinarians, and you know, we shall do get some shade thrown our way. Any advice yeah. on handling the negativity that is inevitable with social media? Yeah, like that resiliency. How do you help with that? Well, I think I think a lot of it is um, is limiting exposure. You know, I, I think that we rely far too much on social media for everything. Um, so, so for instance, as a staff member, do I need to be sort of scanning through um, sites where people are giving feedback about the veterinary industry? Probably not, right? Um, so that's maybe something you guys have to do for your job. But do I need to be doing that as a staff member all the time? No. Um, these are people that have um, no real understanding of the veterinary industry. Um, they're angry for some reason, um, individuals and just trying to make people angry. And so there's really no point in getting invested in that um, because there's no way, there's no way to fix that. Um, so, so companies are even seeing at this point in time, that it's really not even a good idea to answer negative feedback right. you know, other than I'm sorry, because it, it really goes nowhere. I mean, without a face-to-face conversation about things or having in, like details about what happened, you know, anyone can say anything. Um, and so for me, I think a lot of that is just protecting myself. I'm, I'm going to refuse to look at those things unless I absolutely have to because it's my uh, responsibility at work. Wow. Well, Becky Murray, CVT, LCPC, I think it's Yes. Right. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It has been just amazing to talk to you today. I am so enamored by what you're doing, but more importantly, I'm really grateful on behalf of the entire veterinary profession and pet parents of the world because you are truly making a difference in the lives of so many, but more importantly, you're spreading those messages of health and wellness to magnitude of order that we can't even calculate. So if you find your family, what do you think about what Becky Murray is doing? What do you think about the role of counseling in the veterinary clinic setting, both for clients and and for staff. Don't you wish you had a Becky Murray in your clinic today? I know I do. We really want to hear from you. Are you confronting these issues? And if so, how have you found ways to overcome the challenges of the stressors of daily practice life? We really want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to click to subscribe while you're there so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And Becky Murray, any places to send them? Websites, Facebook groups, anything? Well, uh, uh, the AVMA actually has a lot of information right now about compassion fatigue. Um, they've got some great self-tests that you can take to see sort of how how you're feeling. And so I would actually start there. Um, NAFTA um, has a lot of the same things as well. Um, and so it's, it's starting to be something that's really available in the veterinary field. Um, so start with those um, places and see where it takes you. So viewfinders, check yourself before you'll wreck yourself. Until next time, don't feed the trolls. Bye. Bye. Bye.